0: The idea that there are some jobs that are safer than others, I think, is a little bit exaggerated. There's no such thing as a safe job, per se.
1: You're listening to The Take Back Podcast, where women of color
2: creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And
1: I'm Angelica Diantha, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back
2: systems designed against them. Okay, so today we had the amazing opportunity to talk to Sherry Lynn Lee. Sherry Lynn Lee is an L.A.-based musician, songwriter, and producer of Asian descent who grew up in the tropical African island of Mauritius. While she was growing up, she said she was a straight-A student, and then she went on to pursue a degree in computer science. And we definitely saw proof of that in this episode when we were talking with her because she's just so articulate, and you can tell how smart she is and how systematically she thinks about Things And yet she's definitely a creative through and through and she says that throughout her life, she simply could not help but explore her creative side. She had a job in Silicon Valley, and after doing that as a data scientist for a while, she left that career and ended up immersing herself in songwriting, producing, and mixing music for her musical jazz pop duo called 23rd Hour, which is something that she does with her husband, and also working with other artists as well. And she was so lovely. I was like just so excited the entire time that we were talking to her. Yeah, I'm
1: really love the wisdom and knowledge that Sherry Lynn just shared and just was so open about her experiences. So I cannot wait for you all to dive in a little bit deeper and to get
2: to learn more about her and her background. Um, yeah, so it was just an incredible conversation. We are so excited for you all to hear it. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So welcome, Sherry Lynn Lee, to our podcast. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. You have a really interesting cultural background and you grew up in Mauritius. So tell us about that. You know, what was that like growing up there? I don't think I've ever met another person from there. So this is super exciting for me. And (laughs) I'm really excited to just hear what your upbringing was like.
0: Yeah, so I was actually born in Toronto, but then my parents moved back. My my mother was really sick after she gave birth to me, and she couldn't work, and my mm. dad was not making enough money for them to survive there. Plus, you know, it was really cold. Sure, yeah. So, <laughs> Canada. You know, like, yeah, maybe yeah. we should just move back. So they moved back. I grew up there. I have a younger brother. Um, and... So growing up in Mauritius was a very interesting experience where it was multicultural. So most of the population is of Indian or African descent. Okay. And, cool. um, and then Chinese People are approximately two percent of the population, and then there's less than one percent white people left. Okay, I mean all the colonizers. I mean most of them left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're the only ones left here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I I grew up being a minority, but after I moved to the U.S. and Canada, I realized that it was a very different experience as a minority there versus in North America. Mm-hmm. So in Mauritius, I grew up identifying as Chinese because most of the East Asian looking people are of Chinese descent. There's a few exceptions, but most of them are, you know, of Chinese descent. So I grew up with what I believe to be Chinese culture, Chinese food, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Chinese traditions. And so my family for the most part was Catholic or Protestant and Buddhist. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, So we practiced both. And I guess like the Buddhist side was more like us, preserving our culture kind of thing Mm -hmm. like my grandmother still really does believe in a lot of that stuff but Mm. I think a lot of the younger generation not so much we just do it because it's our culture and we want to preserve it and we you know do the rituals and all that stuff and then after high school I moved back to Canada I went to Toronto for my degree and I looked around and I saw so many people of Asian descent around me and East Asian descent and it was kind of strange. Like we were still a minority, but there were way more of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so university was great. I, I never felt like I was discriminated against because of my race. Yeah. Um, there was some gender discrimination because sure. I was in a computer right. science program and I was one of very, very few women in that computer science program. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I didn't realize that that was what was going on at the time. Sure. It's only looking back that I was like, Oh my God, that was so sexist. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Um, So yeah, a lot of a lot of those experiences. I think when I went through them, I didn't understand what was going on. I just like, oh, okay, that's just how life is. That's just how people are. uh, I didn't really understand the social and cultural context around a lot of the experiences that I've had. Yeah. So I graduate with a computer science degree. I land a job at a startup. I was really into the startup scene. I wanted to Mm -hmm. have my own company. I co-founded a company. And then the startup I was working at got acquired by a very big Silicon Valley company who may have a fruit logo. I'm not going (laughs) to name it. (laughs) And so I was moved to Silicon Valley to work on that team. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, Mm. think about it. I just graduated from my degree and this job just lands on my lap like I I didn't even see it coming and I was like and I had imposter syndrome from that right it's like okay I'm just graduating and I'm sure people work really hard to try and get in and I'm just like getting this dropped on my lap I had I was like wow that is insane so like yeah of course I'm gonna do it so I moved to California and I worked there for about five years and I learned a lot and it was fun but I always was a musician at heart. My earliest memory is coming back from kindergarten and just singing all the songs I learned in kindergarten while my mom was cooking. And nobody could get
2: me to shut up. Yeah. I was like singing all the time. <laughs> I fully relate. That was me growing up too. So yeah, I love it. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And singing lessons weren't a thing there, you Mm. know. Mm. And if you did have singing lessons, it would be like classical opera, you know. And the music conservatory was really far from where I lived. My mom didn't have a car at the time. So I didn't have any vocal lessons until Mm. I I moved to Canada. Yeah. But I did have piano lessons. So I did classical piano for a while, Mm -hmm. I did the exams and all that stuff. Sure. Um, and then, in my teens, my friend's dad started teaching me guitar. So I just learned, you know, chords and strumming just to be able to accompany myself. yeah, I started songwriting by accident, okay? <laughs> when I was about thirteen or fourteen, there was this radio contest, and that was like the first local version of Idol.
2: Oh okay. you know, We didn't
0: have, we didn't have Idol. It's such a small island, one point two million people, you know, it's just a <laughs> tiny market. yeah, so, it was the first time they were doing a contest, at least that, you know, I was old enough to realize that they were doing it. Yeah. And yeah. you had to call in and sing a song over the phone, but it had to be an original song. And I was so, so wanted to enter it. So I asked my mom, I said, Mom, can I enter it? And she she didn't really want me to because my mom is a very reserved person. And mm-hmm. she's, she's always been worried about me being getting too much Attention from the public at a young age, which is sure. a totally valid concern. Sure, but I mean, I'm a teenager. All yeah, I to do was get famous, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I'm like, can I do this? And she's like, well, she didn't want to say no outright, so she said, well, I would let you, but it's only for people who write their own songs, and you don't write your own songs, so unfortunately, you can't do <laughs> it she thought she found a worker she thought, I mean, she, was she, thought very she was like nailing it right that very night i go up to my room and i was like i bet i could write a song <laughs> and there i was that night i wrote my first song and it it had verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus i, I did not enter the contest i didn't tell her about the song that i wrote it was weird it was like right after i finished the song i had this euphoric feeling like i had just discovered magic You know, because I made something out of thin air that didn't exist five minutes ago, but now it does. And I got the songwriting bug. Yeah. But I didn't know anybody who was a songwriter around. I mean, I I don't know. That's something that some other famous, usually white people do, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) and not this little Chinese teenager in Mauritius. So I was actually embarrassed to even Mm -hmm. tell anybody about it. I think I waited several months before I even told my best friend
1: mm-hmm.
0: that I wrote a song and and then I showed it to my some of my friends and they and they thought that was cool and in the meantime I was just spending a lot of time at night writing songs and then eventually I was like okay I, I want to be able to play my songs so I learned guitar to be able to do that and then I think the next year I was playing that song for like a music day at school so I was rehearsing and my my mom heard me singing. And she was like, who's that song by? Did you write that? I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, it's good. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's how she found
2: out. (laughs) So how was that? That sparks all kinds of questions for me as a fellow songwriter. You know, I feel like sometimes in Asian culture, you know, not to generalize that broadly, but at least in my culture growing up, you know, I'm Indo-Fijian. And I feel like that creative expression sometimes Especially by, you know, parents and aunties and all of this is sort of like, what are you doing? You know, so kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about your mom being like, I don't want you getting too much attention. And, you know, and it comes from a really meaningful, you know, protective place but there's this sort of tension between protecting your child and also giving them the freedom to really express themselves creatively. And I think we internalize a lot of that stuff, right? And so I'm curious to hear, you know, when your mom gave you that feedback, what did that feel like for you to have your mother who comes from this type of a culture essentially to say something that was validating and Made you feel like, oh, she actually appreciates what I did. Did you? Did that create any kind of interesting feelings for um,
0: you? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember.
2: I think I did
0: feel validated, mm-hmm. um, and I and I was relieved because the stereotypical Asian parent feedback would be not very encouraging, right? <laughs> but so I was relieved to not have gotten that, you know. First of all, but I also knew that even though she liked it that she still wouldn't want me to pursue it too seriously. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I understood why, and I understood where she was coming from, and I had no intention of going against that until I was an adult. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Um, cause I know that she comes from a good place and right. I don't know, my, my parents did a very good job of being stern, but like letting me feel like that was coming from a good place. Like I, I never sure. had the rebellion, like, oh, you're so, you know, you're so overprotective and like, yeah. I hate mm-hmm. you kind of thing. Like I never got that. Yeah. I always felt that, you know, it was coming from a good place and I should listen to them. mm mm-hmm until i'm an adult and i can make my own decisions and then you know hopefully they will support me yeah so yeah i was kind of cool with it yeah as long as you know she didn't prevent me from doing it which she never did
2: yeah. So, yeah. yeah yeah did you feel generally supported like growing up when you started taking on new instruments and exploring your songwriting what was your relationship like with your family in that context
0: yeah um they they knew early on that I was really into music mm-hmm. and they were very supportive I started ballet Chinese ballet lessons when I was I think seven I started piano lessons when I was eight or nine and then guitar lessons at 14 and like right around the time Idol started in West there was a Star Academy in France and that's what I was following because we we didn't really follow Idol there um and they had like dances and stuff. So I was really into dance for a while. So I would get together with my friends and we would learn those steps or I would come up with some steps and teach it to them and we yeah. would perform at school. And they were very supportive of that. And my friends would come over, we'd practice, you know, and all that. And they were always supportive, but they always told me, you know, you should also make sure you study and, yes. you know, yeah. not not make that your plan A.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: mm-hmm. And... I guess I was lucky because I was a pretty good student. I got good grades in school. So they were like, hey, as long as you're doing well in school, we don't care. You know, if you want to do that, do that.
2: Yeah. So at what point did you say, I think I'm going to go in the tech direction, even though I've clearly got this passion for music and I'm invested in this art, but I know I need to pick that stable career or whatever. Like, what led you to the computer science choice?
0: I loved music and I loved, you know, being creative, but I also loved science and programming. Mm -hmm. Um, Programming was my favorite class in school. We didn't have music class. We had visual arts, but I wasn't great at that. I enjoyed it, but I was not great at it. Um, I was very good at sciences, computer science, you know, programming. I was decent at math. So when I was graduating, I didn't even dare to ask, can I go pursue like a music degree? Because the Mauritian rupee at the time was, I think, one one Canadian dollar was 26 rupees. Okay. And and now, uh, I think U.S. dollar to Mauritius since COVID and everything, like U.S. dollar is one U.S. dollar to 40 rupees, which is insane. So I'm going to be taking the life savings that my dad accumulated, working really hard to go get this degree. I can't get a degree that is not guaranteeing that I can make money. Sure. And also knowing that... There were two of us so not just me but like there's my brother coming behind and they weren't gonna have money for both of us Mm. so we made a family decision that i would go and i would get a degree and i would help out Mm. when when i was starting to work help my brother out and i did and that was totally voluntary like i they did not force me to do that but i just thought that's what families do they support each other right 100 percent and and I, and I loved it. I love being challenged intellectually and being creative. There's a lot of creativity in places we don't often think of. You know, when you're creating software, you have to come up with re- creative solutions, the you know elegant solutions to problems. Uh, what is the most efficient way that you can accomplish this that will run the fastest, that will make the most sense for the people who are using it? all that stuff. So there was a lot of creativity involved in programming, which is why I really gravitated towards that as opposed to something else. I just really felt like I could create something. And again, it's software is you're creating something out of nothing. And it's still very similar to when you're writing a song where, you know, it's not there and then it's there and it does this thing. Yeah. Um, And software was just, I guess, a slightly more tangible version of that like you Mm -hmm. have a software that you can actually look at right um so yeah I gladly did that
2: yeah oh there's so many good points that I I want to just like pick apart but I'm not going to because we'd be here for you know hours (laughs) and
1: hours and hours but oh man such good stuff you know what's so interesting I love the connection that you just made regarding tech and like what, you know, and how that is such a creative space, because I outside of today's, you know, meeting with you, I never would have thought of that. But you're so right. I'm curious to hear from you, Sherry Lynn. just like walk us through like what things started happening for you to leave the tech world and enter into what you're now doing, singer, songwriter, musician in a duo and a producer. So tell us a little bit more about that. So confession when i did move to canada to go study
0: at university my secret plan was to audition for canadian idol (laughs) nice canceled
1: oh (laughs) dang it so
0: actually that's my first time admitting that um you heard it you heard it here guys first time Exclusive. <laughs> exclusive to the take back podcast
1: um I so
0: you know I, I got there and you know nothing happened but I was still writing songs throughout college and I still hope that someday I would be able to make that transition I didn't know how it was going to happen but I knew that I would never stop playing music even if I had to do it on the side for the rest of my life you know I would still do it mm-hmm. um so I moved to Silicon Valley you know making good money I went to a bunch of open mics. Everything, every time I move anywhere, the first thing I do is go to open mics and meet other musicians, right? Because that's my people. Yeah. So I go to open mics, I meet a few collaborators, and I meet the person who is now my duo partner and my husband, and we started writing together, jamming and everything. And we really got into it. Like we were st- we were taking vacations away from our tech jobs to go record our songs in studios and so we it was like a vacation/slash recording trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and we were having a lot of fun doing that. And he he was at the point where he was like, okay, you know, I'm done with tech. I wanna leave. So we started crunching the numbers and looking at, okay, can we do this? And if we did, you know, how much time would we have? Like if we sold the house and we you know, downsized, can we do this? And what other sources of income can we get? So we crunched the numbers and, you know, at the same time at the job, I, it was a great job, but I was, at first when I joined, it was a really small team and you did have a lot of that creative freedom because mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm. so much to do and so few people to do it that like, it was kind of like make your own adventure. Cause like, there's yeah, so much right. to do. Yeah. <laughs> But then as the, as the team grows bigger, you know, there's more and more levels of management and more, Mm -hmm. more and more, like, you know, just more and more corporate stuff. Right. And it was starting to get to a point where it wasn't as satisfying for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I felt like the impact that I was having was getting less and less every year. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. when I first started, what I was doing had a huge impact on the product. And then when I left it still had an impact, but it was like small incremental impact compared to the beginning. So it felt less rewarding. Sure. Yeah, I was just less and less satisfied with it. And I didn't know, do I want to do this? I don't know. It's, it's great, but like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this forever. So I actually sought counseling. I went to a therapist. I was doing it for I think six to eight months I don't know for a while and I was just you know very confused like I really want to leave this job am I Mm -hmm. crazy you know some people would kill for a job like this like if I if I leave a job like that when so many of my friends would have loved to have that job like is that disrespectful to them I don't know I just had so many doubts you know and after months and months of therapy I am happy to announce (laughs) That I finally figured out why I had so much anxiety. Like I, I actually had anxiety where um, I would go to work and my stomach would be upset. Yeah. Like I would not feel well. I was very on edge. I was like getting upset at people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought it was like all the people around me. Like I started, I started like not liking going to work. Mm-hmm. But then after months and months of therapy, I realized that it was me (laughs) that I was just not happy in that environment Mm -hmm. and that I needed a change and that all of these things that I was mad about it was not the main reason the main reason was that I wanted to take the time to do what I've always wanted to do and to spend time with people I love you know being able to travel because like Mauritius is 33 hour flight from here wow it's a long way yeah Yeah. when you're working a job And you want to go visit your family you can't take you know a month not in the us you can't right (laughs) so i mean the company was really good about that like they did let me work from home a few extra weeks but still you know i was just stressed out every time i would go there it takes you know two days to get there and then when you come back you lose a day because Anyway, so it was always stressful, and I always felt like I couldn't spend time with my family when I when I wanted to, and many things pulling in different directions, and I needed a break. So what I did was I told everybody that I'm taking a sabbatical. I, did, I didn't say I'm leaving and I'm becoming a musician, because I knew that a lot of people, at least I thought, I knew that a lot of people would say, you're crazy,
2: mm.
0: but... <laughs> Yeah. So I said, I'm going to take a sabbatical because that's a pretty common thing that people do in corporate. There's been a few other people in my team who've done it. So I said, you know, I'm going to take a year off and maybe I'll come back. We'll see. And everybody was like, oh, okay. And I made sure that my transition was smooth. I, I made sure that, you know, I handed off everything and they didn't have to figure out, you know, what I was doing before I left. Right. I did a really smooth handoff, and then I never went back. Yeah. (laughs) So then I leave, and I'm like, okay, we need to figure this out. (laughs) Um, We knew that we had a few years where, you know, we had accumulated enough income from our tech jobs that we could do this, and we sold the house and all that stuff. So we were very privileged to have that, and I know not a lot of people have that, so Mm -hmm. I definitely acknowledge that privilege. but. I didn't want to rely on that you know and i wanted to start getting into film and tv sync licensing Hmm. so i started researching i took a few courses and then i started writing songs that you know would maybe fit that better than just artist songs and then i realized that you know what it's very expensive because you got to do a lot of them and producers are expensive right and also most producers are men Mm hmm. And not all of them, but most of them, they don't really realize it. But a lot of times they're a little condescending to women. Yep. And I mean, I've had I've had great ones, but I always felt like I'm the chick singer and, mm. you know, I'm not taken seriously. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I learned how to program the software you're using. I'm, I, <laughs> yeah. I
1: <can> <laughs> and there it is. She took back. <laughs> a
0: space. <laughs> so so um there was one time so I you know we had we had the daw and everything set up and we had demos that we did but I didn't know anything like I didn't even know what an EQ did. I mean I knew there was an EQ but I had no idea how to use it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but then I got a brief one day in one of the Facebook groups I was in and it was due like in 3 days and we just happened to have a song that we had started demoing that was perfect for that brief.
2: Hmm.
0: So I was like, okay, let's do this. And I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. So I open Logic and it's super simple. There's one guitar, our duet vocals. And we were like, okay, this needs like a toy piano sound. So we play the piano and I go on Google, how to make toy piano sound in Logic. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And I find this tutorial that said, oh, you bring up this EQ and you roll off the high and you roll off the low and you like, okay oh i got a toy piano sound good and then there was some noise on the guitar like how to remove fret noises on guitar and then i started playing around with the reverb a little bit and sent it off it got signed
2: that's amazing
0: what oh so i cool. couldn't believe it i yeah. couldn't believe it i i did that in like i don't know two days so that really set it off for me because yeah. i was like okay I have no idea what I just did, but apparently it worked. So, yeah. no, I think, I think there's something here. So since then, I've been trying to do more and more. So I went back to that mix, by the way. It was awful. I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after after like a few weeks, I, I was learning a lot and I was like, okay, I'm going to redo this mix and I'm going to like switch it without them even knowing because like mm-hmm. they hadn't downloaded it yet. And I did. Um, so you? The, the first great. mix hopefully nobody ever heard again but yeah so then we decided okay we're gonna do a christmas album and we're like okay we're gonna produce it i'm not super comfortable mixing it yet but we'll produce it so we produced it we used the logic drummer and again like i'm learning from tutorials on youtube and all that right. stuff yeah. i started a, an online mixing course to learn the basics send it off to a mixer get it back And then the next Christmas EP that we put out, I produced and mixed everything. And so now for most of our stuff, I produce and mix. And then I do have a mastering engineer that I work with who gives me really good rate, who does all the mastering. But yeah, now I do everything. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Amazing. So cool.
2: What does that feel like to have that agency and that kind of creative control for you now where you're like I get to take this vision and this idea and execute it the way that I want to on my terms, my time, using my talent and my skills?
0: It is amazing and I recommend it to everybody.
2: Yeah.
0: Um I started producing for other artists as well, like some of my friends. Yeah. And that same thing like I I volunteered to do one and he loved it and I was like oh okay (laughs) so I guess I could do more (laughs) but yeah I I really encourage especially women you know uh, to at least try it out at first I have to admit I hated it it was awful I didn't know what I was doing it was frustrating trying to record and you know give a good vocal performance while trying to monitor your levels and you know logic doing its thing and crashing and, you know, just all that stuff. There is a very painful beginning. I'm not going to lie. But once you get past that, it's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I always recommend that people start small. Maybe you just start with learning how to record your vocal at home so you don't have to go to someone else. Like now, I don't, want to go somewhere to track because I like the privacy of my own studio I don't want Mm -hmm. people looking at me making funny faces while I'm trying to reach those high notes okay (laughs) I I make very funny faces and I you know I'm I'm very self-conscious about that (laughs) but when I'm in my studio nobody's seeing it and I can nail it yeah you know start by just recording your vocals and then you once you've done that and you're comfortable with that you can start learning to edit your vocals tuning it comping it editing you know And then once you do that, you can start adding maybe like some chords and play with the Logic drummer, just come up with a demo and then send it off to a producer to finish it off. And then you can start producing and then you can start mixing, you know, just little steps at a time. When I was doing it, I didn't look at the end product. I was just like, I'm just gonna find out how I'm gonna do the next thing that I need to do. And then after a while, I look back and like, oh, I guess I did a lot of things, (laughs) Yeah, you know, but if you you don't think about the big picture too much and you're just like, okay, break it down into a bunch of tasks and I need to figure out how to do this and how to do this and how to do this Mm -hmm. sooner than you think. You've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. So
2: cool. That's such good advice.
1: So, you know, Shirley, what advice would you give to maybe some of our women of color listeners who are considering or maybe thinking about taking that first step or planning out leaving their quote unquote stable jobs or stable careers to pursue more creative work. What would you say to them? First crunch the numbers.
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, I don't recommend anybody leaving on a whim. I stayed for about a year after I had decided that I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did my job to the best that I could during that year, but really crunch the numbers and think about what you really want and need in life and what you can do without, like you might have to adjust your lifestyle. You might have to maybe be a little more frugal, like maybe stop going to Starbucks. And I never buy coffee. I always make my own coffee Mm. unless, you know, I have to go out and meet people, but I never just stop by Starbucks. Yeah. Um, So, you know, crunch the numbers, see how much you're spending every month, what those expenses are, do you need them? What are you willing to cut down? And then when you get your budget and, you know, figure out, okay, what can you sell? What what can you get rid of and figure out, okay, how long will you have enough money to sustain yourself Mm -hmm. before, you know, you can make income from other stuff? And, you know, a lot of people start developing that income stream first and then they leave. Which, yeah. you know, would be a lot less stressful if you're a person who gets crippled with anxiety. So that's mm-hmm. something you need mm-hmm. to think about, too. What's your personality? Like some people are just like, you know, I'm willing to take the risk and I'm cool with that. And and they really are very good at hustling and getting it done. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to know what you're comfortable with mm-hmm. and um, plan it out.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely
0: mm-hmm. plan it out. Don't leave on a whim. Don't leave when you're angry. Don't leave your job when you're angry, please Mm. work through it. um, Make sure that you leave on good terms and yeah, have a budget and know how long you have until you will need to get
1: another job. Such wisdom. That is such good advice.
2: What would you say were like some of the biggest challenges that you faced when you did step into that and, you know, decided, okay, now I'm I'm making this transition for good. This is the way forward for me. As far as like your mental health and where you were emotionally, what were some of the challenges? And then also just practically speaking, did you face any kind of challenges? There was
0: always an internal battle of, you know, what people would think. Mm-hmm. Especially, I, I don't really care about other people, but people who are close to me. You know, I was worried about my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really worry about my friends because I know that my good friends will support me whatever I do. Right? Mm-hmm. And the other ones, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> but but my parents, you know, my family, I did care because I knew that they would be worried. Right, and and that was difficult for my mom. Mm. But. She has learned to accept it. I I think it was frustrating for me because she saw it as me throwing away everything that she and my dad had worked so hard for.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: She didn't see it the way I was seeing it, which is, you know, my parents worked really, really hard their entire life. And they maybe did work that they didn't like as much or they did it longer than they would have liked to because they needed to. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was able to go and study and get a good job and accumulate some wealth before I did this crazy thing. Mm -hmm. I was able to afford the privilege of going away from this very high paying job and doing something that I truly wanted to do my entire life. So for me, it was not a waste. You Mm -hmm. know, it it enabled me to do the thing that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And um, it took a while for her to get that. But I think now like it's starting to sink in. Mm. And, and again, like when I left, I didn't say I'm leaving. I'm doing music full time. I said, hey, mom, I'm taking a break for like a year mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to see where it goes. And then, of course, I started posting a lot of music stuff. So I think she got the hint, <laughs> <laughs> but she still had hope that like after a year I was going to go back and, you know. And also because of the company that I left, being from Mauritius, I never thought, that I would get there. I remember being in a physics class and uh, my teacher said, you know you're really good at this whole programming thing you know keep working hard and maybe someday you'll be at one of the big companies like Microsoft or something and mm-hmm. I, and I remember that specifically and, and I and I thought, yeah right. That was just so far-fetched for me. Yeah. To even mm-hmm. consider that I would ever have a job as an engineer in a company like Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Then I land a job at one of their competitors. Mm-hmm. and um, there there was that, you know, letting go of that achievement for them was a little right. hard,
2: right. And, you know, I think immigrant parents a lot of times operate and make the decisions and the sacrifices and the choices that they make because it comes from a place of scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're building everything that they have from scratch. I know my parents went through that and Helika's had that in her family background as well. And so their intention is always we want to create as much safety for our children and we want to see them flourish in these continued patterns of safety and then we come in with our creative <laughs> ideas and say hey we want to do something that has a higher risk factor right. involved and they're like we've spent our whole lives working to help you have this right. safe stable yeah. thing and that can be challenging so and
0: the mm-hmm. other thing too is you know after 2016, my whole idea of the world just like flipped upside down. Right. <laughs> and and I started to question like what is safety? Yeah. What right. is what is guaranteed? You know, mm-hmm. and we were just like bracing for an economic collapse to be honest right yeah and we're like well if the world's going to shit i might as well do what you love <laughs> exactly you know? Exactly. but you know looking at what's happening now since the pandemic so many people left their jobs you know and especially jobs that don't pay well because right they're not going to pay you well you know why work there and go find something else right. right um but you know the the idea that there are some jobs that are safer than others I think is a little bit exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a safe job per se. I mean, at at any time you could be fired. There could be layoffs. The company could go bankrupt or I don't know, there could be some scandals, the stocks plummet, whatever. There's no guarantee. There are things that seem like they are more stable and there are definitely things that are more in demand in the market. But... There is no 100%. And we are fooling ourselves if we think that keeping a corporate job
2: is safety. It's right. not. Right. Right. That's such a good way to look at it. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's a brilliant yeah. point.
0: But I have to say, I do I do struggle with this, the schedule. Like, I love the freedom, but sometimes I get too distracted. <laughs> sure. <laughs> with a million creative ideas. Like, ooh, I'm going to start a podcast. Oh, Wait. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I also have a music client thing I need to do. And uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So We're, relatable. It, it is. <laughs> well, you know, that's what's so interesting, too. Like if you're working in a, you know, career or profession, obvi- obviously, you know, sometimes you go into that setting and there is a structure, there's expectations, deadlines, things. But when doing creative pursuits, it's like you set those deadlines, you set those structures, right? so I love that you bring that up because I think it is a common experience that a lot of creatives go through. Yeah, I have to be honest. I'm still trying to find the right
0: structure because if it's too structured, I'm not going to follow it. Right. But if it's not structured enough, I'm also not going to follow it. So I'm still like experimenting and trying to figure out the right the right pace for everything.
2: Yeah. What are you finding that's working for you kind of so far in that experimenting? I am very much a batch processor. I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. because I
0: was a computer science person, but I love doing things in chunk. So I try to do that in February. I did the February album writing month where I wrote 14 songs in, february dang Um, yeah and i'm not gonna release all of them but it was good to just focus on okay this month i'm just gonna focus on songwriting and i'm gonna crank a bunch of stuff out yeah then it was taxed month (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so i think for me i i like to work on like several months i like to do a few weeks at a time focus on one thing that way i can go deep Mm -hmm. but then i also get a break Yeah, afterwards. So I'm trying to figure that out. But I think that's more or less what's working for me.
2: So you're creating these kind of ebbs and flows for yourself where you have busier seasons and then downtime and it Mm -hmm. kind of balances itself out. Yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah, because I've always admired people who can do... A little bit of everything every day, that mm-hmm. is just so not me. Yeah. People who say, you know, just work out five minutes a day, write five minutes in your journal every day, like that's just not me. I can write like a whole journal and then I'm not gonna do it.
1: But you. I love I love that you could just say so authentically, like, that's great that you could do that, and that is not for me, and I'm gonna do my own thing. Right. And I think that's so that's so refreshing. It's powerful,
2: right? Yeah. To claim it is. that and to to know that about yourself. I think there's some agency in that, which is great.
0: Yeah. I still try. But sure. I'm telling you, I fail every single time. <laughs> I have a good streak for like a week, maybe a few weeks, and then it's like, oh yeah, I forgot to do it for four weeks. Oops.
1: <laughs> well, Sherry Lynn, I'm dying to hear a little bit more about what creative projects that you're currently working on. Tell our listeners a little bit about the podcast that you've started.
0: Yeah. So during the February album writing month, I co-wrote with an another API artist and. She's Filipino. We met at a listening session and we we're like, there's not that many people who are Asian artists. So we got to write together. You know, we got to get together. And and we started talking about just our experience. And we noticed so many common experiences that we have that, you know, white people don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, especially as women, too. Like, there's a lot of stuff that we have encountered that other people have not. Mm-hmm. And, and it was so cathartic to meet somebody else who got it yeah so we wrote a song and we were really proud of it and we were discussing how we're going to release it and our marketing plan and so we did a zoom call we're like okay okay, maybe we can like create some content for aapi months um you know put it on TikTok or whatever and as we were talking like there were so many ideas we were like you know what it would make a good podcast Mm -hmm. yeah and so we decided to start a podcast that is telling the stories of the Asian diaspora and not just in the U.S., but everywhere else. We're focusing on the U.S. right now, but we will talk to other people as well. And the idea is that the experiences that we have, there's a lot of commonalities. Mm-hmm. So it, it does feel great to you know meet people and have those conversations and feel validated yeah. for us. But also there's so many nuances that is not something that somebody who's not in the community would know. Right. You know, So we want to bring those nuances and those diverse experiences and basically help people see us as more than the stereotypes that they see. You yeah. know, when you think AAPI, a lot of people think East Asians and people who look like me, but there's so many people who don't look like me. Yeah. So getting to know those cultures, getting to share those stories, but also getting to share the little slices of America or whatever country it is that we're growing up in yeah. that we experience because they're not all the same. That's the gist of the podcast. What's the podcast it's called? It's called Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora.
2: Okay, awesome. And we'll be sure to include a, a link to that in our show yeah. notes so that our listeners can check it out because that's like, feels like a sister podcast it's in a way. I know. So we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, love it. I love that you're doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, And, you
0: know, because there's so many, there are so many experiences that if you're not in that community, you don't even think of. And even if right. you are in that community, you don't think of. For example, I reached out to somebody and they said, well, you know, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this podcast because I, I am Asian, but I'm adopted.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was like, no,
0: this is perfect. I mm-hmm. would love to know your story. You know, yep. there's all these stories. Like uh, there's another guest who is mixed she's white and asian and yeah, right. you know her experience is very different so there's so many layers to this and so many different nuances between totally. all of our stories yeah that i hope makes us more human to the people who don't have the opportunity to meet us yeah you because know, let's face it there are some places that are not very diverse and it's not really their fault i mean if you're born in a town that is all white it's not your fault and right. you know i can understand that if you're the only thing you've seen about Asian Americans is Harold and Kumar. Yeah. (laughs) You have um, kind of a not very well-rounded perception of us, you know, and it's not your fault. So uh, yeah, listen to the book. Yeah. (laughs) And then aside from that, I am trying to build my business, you know, as a producer, as a vocalist for hire, I'm trying to put together my first solo release in a long time because i've done a lot of stuff with my duo but now i want to do some solo stuff as well that's different a different sound i am mixing a piano album for my husband and i think we're gonna do a solo guitar album for him as well so i've got that going on oh mm. uh, yeah a lot of stuff so yeah. cool love you it keep me-
1: busy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. So we're going to go into our final little segment. Um, it is called the final five in five, where we're going to be asking five questions. And the goal is hopefully in under five minutes. So okay. Lynn, are you ready? I'm ready. Alrighty. Okay. What is currently inspiring your creativity? This could either be a book or a podcast, a place music that you're listening to, movies, whatever you would define as creative or inspiring? Oh, there's so much.
0: Well, lately, the past few weeks, it's been the interviews that I've been doing for the podcast because there's just so many great stories. Uh, But also just everyday encounters with people. You know, when I go on my Facebook feed and I see what people are up to, like I get ideas from that. I actively go out and seek new music A lot, you know, I spend a lot of time just going through TikTok and finding new artists, checking out their stuff. So um, that reading books as
1: well. Um, Yeah, everything. Yeah. So cool. That's great. All right. I'm really curious to hear this answer. But in your opinion, who would you say is currently crushing the game as a producer? This could either be a woman of color or someone else. Ooh. Um, crushing the game as a producer.
0: Let's come back to this because I
1: I gotta think about no it. No worries, we'll stick her back. All right. Um, as a woman of color specifically, how do you define self care? I try to
0: give myself and other people grace mm-hmm. when a lot of times all the all the stuff that's happening in the news is very overwhelming, mm-hmm. and I need to take a break. Yeah. So I just don't. I don't look at it. Yeah. I don't read the headlines. I don't have the news app on my phone um, and I disabled all the notifications. So I have to like actively open the app Mm -hmm. to go see what's going on. I've muted all political stuff on my Facebook because I just don't want to deal with that there Mm -hmm. because I'm interested in actual discussions. I'm not interested in just people throwing off the cuff comments on a Facebook feed.
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: Mm -hmm. I've learned to curate my spaces. So I know, you know, if I want to read discussions about politics or whatever and i'll read both sides too but i'll do it on my own terms like i'll read like medium articles or you know news coverage but on my own time not when i'm on facebook trying to network and trying to do other things so that's one thing um and then the other is when something happens that makes me feel like i'm you know a person of color (laughs) you know those encounters i try to take a step back and Realize that, you know, racism and, you know, systems of oppression, fe- uh, sexism, they're not a personality trait. Mm-hmm. They are systems. And the people who are doing those things that are sexist or racist are just the product of that system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when they're lashing out, it's because they feel like it's it wasn't something they actively did. Like it wasn't their fault. And um, And I get where they're coming from, because they, they don't n- realize that all of the things that they've learned to do naturally mm-hmm. are things that were imprinted on them by the system. So I think that kind of helps me take a step back and not feel it too much. Yeah, yeah, so good.
1: So as a producer, what is the most unique instrument or item that you used on a track? Ooh, you're going to like this. I did this song called Wasted Space in My Heart,
0: and I used office supplies for percussions.
2: Oh, that is so
1: cool.
0: I took a a pencil jar, and I did something like, so it sounded like a Um, hi-hat. And then I took a a notebook that had a hardcover, and I made that a kick. And I used a business card as a kind of slap-clap
1: thing. Mm -hmm. That was fun. (laughs) That's so cool. I love it. And is there a woman of color business or brand that you would recommend to our listeners?
0: I would really recommend Mad Potters. She makes Mm -hmm. awesome, super cute plant pots. And I just love them. Mm. She sells out almost every time. I haven't been able to get one yet. Like, that's how (laughs) popular she is. Oh, okay.
2: But they're so cute. Oh, love it. That's love That's great. Um, well, that brings us to the end of the final five and five. Um, did we want to circle back? Do you want to name a producer? Adrian Gonzalez. Okay, cool. Okay, awesome. any final thoughts or encouragement that you want to leave our listeners with? I would say you have to curate your space. And
0: there's good things and there's bad things in the world. And there's good people and there's bad people and if you dwell on the bad things you'll feel surrounded by the bad things and you'll get discouraged mm-hmm. so you have to go seek out people who are optimistic mm-hmm. people who are encouraging people who are supportive you know there there's going to be sexist guys out there there's going to be racist guys out there mm-hmm. and women and whatever but there's also the other side so go find those people yeah yeah and that's what i'm trying to do as well yeah just curating the space that Enables you to thrive, but also enables you to make a positive impact on the world around you.
2: Yeah. So good. Such good advice. Love it. Well, thank you, Sherry, for being our guest. It was such a joy to speak with you. Wasn't that so good? I'm so good. I want to just spend a whole day with
1: her. Me too. (laughs) I mean, she was so bubbly and relatable and just warm and
2: friendly. And really like, practical. Yes, extremely like, practical. I You can see that computer science mind at work, you know, where it's like, I feel like a lot of times creative people are a little bit all over the place. I mean, we're like that, right? We're all over the place and sometimes have a hard time really focusing on things. But she was like so systematic in her thinking and has that like problem solver tendency in the way that she thinks about her life and her story and her creative work, which is why I think she's crushing the game and yeah
1: well I loved that um, Sherry Lynn was able to be on our show and I hope you guys all enjoyed hearing her story and getting to learn just the wisdom that she brought so thank you once again for listening to our episode please check us out on our website at thetakebackpodcast.com and make sure to subscribe to our mailing list you can go ahead and also follow us on Instagram at the Takeback Podcast. And if you're a woman of color creative who's listening with a compelling story that you want to share with our listeners, please, please, please message us. You can message us either on our website or on Instagram. And most importantly, make sure to leave a review and
2: if you want to, a five star rating. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you all next time. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit the takebackpodcast.com to learn more.